you take your Bible this morning, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Our theme for the year, a passion for Jesus Christ, uh, has been a blessing already, I hope, to you. But uh, this month, uh, the theme specifically narrowed down to uh, a passion for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're looking here in Philippians chapter 2. It's actually the verses that have been our memory verse for this uh, this month and entitled this uh, message, A Servant's Mindset. A Servant's Mindset. Philippians chapter 2. You know, in World War One, many of the enlistments uh, were just men that were just keen to go, keen to get out. Uh, some just wanted to get out and see the world. Others thought it would be a bit of a lark and it would be over pretty quickly. Uh, pretty... Uh, foolhardy in hindsight. And, but many also signed up uh, because they just wanted to serve their country. Uh, they, many could uh, point to what they had and, and were just so thankful uh, that as a show of their thankfulness they were enlisting. And, in, and that was just a, a willingness to serve country. In this passage, it's all about Christ's servanthood in going to the cross. How he served us in going to the cross. So Philippians chapter 2, we'll read verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." We see a servant's mindset as Christ goes to the cross. And we're going to look at that this morning and and how that applies to us as well as we seek to serve the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Lord, for those of us that know you as Saviour, who have accepted Christ as Saviour, Lord, thank you for your provision for us. And Lord, for others that are with us this morning, Lord, give understanding. Lord, you've provided salvation for all mankind and and you served every single one. Lord, I pray that you'd bless as we apply these thoughts to our lives. Lord, give understanding. And Lord, give liberty. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, obviously, firstly, we see in our passage here, as we look at Christ's servanthood uh, going to the cross, we see, firstly, that he, he was a servant. 
the first main point is that he was a servant. And really, uh, uh, here in verse 7, we see two aspects of that servanthood uh, played out. Firstly, he made himself of no reputation. So, uh, under this uh, point of that he was a servant, we see firstly that he was modest. He was of no reputation. Modest. He wasn't seeking fame. Christ wasn't seeking a reputation or a name for himself. Now this word here that we see in our text, in verse 7 there, but made himself of no reputation. That word reputation uh, has the, the idea of being empty or, or void, uh, even vanity, you know, the emptiness of the frivolity of life, uh, that sense of vanity, no reputation. And instead of drawing, to, drawing people to himself for himself, his earthly ministry wasn't just trying to draw a crowd for his own fame. His, his earthly ministry, he was preparing people to acknowledge their Messiah. He wasn't drawing them to himself for his own benefit. He was only drawing them to, to, pay, to acknowledge him so that they would acknowledge that their Messiah had come. And he was specifically training a select few for when he was gone. And so his ministry uh, otherwise was just a quiet ministry. It wasn't all about, hey, look at me, I'm over here. I am your Messiah. No, he wanted them to notice, yes. But when they notice that they see, wow, this man fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament that say that when the Messiah comes, he will look like, he will do, he will be, he'll be from. Maybe this is the man. But he wasn't out there hollering it because they needed to do it by faith. They needed to see in their heart that this was God, that this was God's answer to their need. Because, and we see it in our day, anyone can get up and say, oh, I'm this, I'm the greatest, I'm the best at this, and oh, look at me as I do this uh, nifty thing on YouTube or whatever. You know, and, and really they're saying, hey, this is so great, so clever. But they're just selling ads. <laughs> Anyone can get up and say, oh, I'm the greatest at this. But are they? It's just their words. Christ cut through all of that. He just went quietly about ministry. Ministering, meeting needs, helping people. And that's how our ministry should be as well. As we look at this idea of a servant's mindset, as we minister one to another, as we seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve one another in the church of God. It's a privilege to do so. But it's not about, oh, I'm on the Bible reading today. 
The world's revolving around me this morning. No. We just go quietly about ministry. And ministry should be an outflow of just what we normally do. It's just, I'm here in church again, and, but today I'm not only singing the hymns, I'm also, <laughs> and I'm ready to go. It's just a quiet outflow of, of, uh, of what we are. And that's what Christ's ministry was. It was modest, but not insignificant. Generally, we serve one another by being in church. Not, ser- not being in church when it's convenient. Not when there's nothing else to do. We know this is my place. This is where I go on Sundays. And this is where my master would have me to be. Because truly, if we're servants, if we truly think of ourselves as servants... We should be where the Master would have us to be. And therefore, as a servant, I need to know that, yeah, this is where I need to be. That these other things are not important because I have a Heavenly Father who is my Master and as His servant, what a privilege that He's got a place for me to minister and to be ministered to. Christ was modest, and we need to go about our ministry in a modest way. But secondly, we see still in verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So in his service, he was modest, and he was a man. Now, we know that Christ is God. We know that even just from this passage. You see, he was made in the likeness of men, but verse 6 has just told us, who being in the form of God. In the, in the form of God, he became in the likeness of men. 100% God was 100% man. Just go with me for a moment to John chapter 8. Keep your place here in Philippians 2. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse 24, John eight twenty-four, Christ says, I said therefore unto you, that, and he's talking to the religious leaders, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, I'm the Messiah, ye shall die in your sins. He's talking to religious men that that think they are above everything. They think they are the greatest thing. Certainly not a servant's mindset amongst them. And they think that they are so spiritual 
that they will just walk into heaven, that everyone will be so relieved when they get there, essentially. That's their mindset. That's not a servant's mindset. And Christ says to these ones that think they are the greatest, says, you're going to die in your sins. They didn't like that. <laughs> and so the rest of this chapter, there's this, to, this discussion to and fro, but let's pick it up again at the end. Verse 58, Jesus said unto them, in verse 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Verse 59, then took they up stones to cast at him. Because he had just claimed to be God, and they knew it. Before Abraham was, I am. That's what Christ said. He's standing there in a physical form, in the form of a man, as it's referred to, in our text, but he said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews knew what that meant. This man's claiming to be God. That is blasphemy in their mind. Now, it wasn't because he was speaking the truth. But they didn't want to believe him. Like we, we saw, he said to them in verse 24, for if you believe not that I am he, they didn't believe that he was he. And because of that, they were willing to stone him to death on the spot for blasphemy. But it wasn't blasphemy. And amazingly, you know, the one thing that doesn't go unnoticed when you're about to stone someone is the someone. Let's finish verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by because he's God. He was literally in the form of a man in a physical body and yet the one person they were about to stone to death for blasphemy just walked out through the middle of them. Amazing. Hundred percent God and yet hundred percent man while he dwelt here. Let's go back to our passage in Philippians chapter two. Because he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Even just that phrasing, was made in the likeness of man, proves that he wasn't in the likeness of man. Because he wasn't man. He is God. And so he served as a man. And when we serve one another, when we serve the Lord, we're doing so in a physical form as well, as a man or a lady. And when we do so, we do so as an equal. We're serving one another. And, it, and Christ wasn't serving as I am God and everything stops. No. There were times that he was so tired, he, he was from ministry, he, he was asleep. 
And yet he's 100% God. God doesn't sleep. When we serve, we need to keep in mind, and when we're being served, we need to keep in mind. We're equal. The one serving us is not less than us. They're a man or, or a woman. He was made in the likeness of men. He was made to, be, to appear equal to us. Now, I'm not saying he was equal to us, but he appeared equal to us. And when we go about service, we need to have that mindset as well. We're serving equals, not underlings and not overlords. We're serving one another. We're meeting one another's needs, human needs, needs that I have as well. But today, I'm meeting that person's need. We need to keep in mind also when we are being served, maybe not even here, that we shouldn't be rude. We shouldn't be demanding. We shouldn't treat them as less. That's not a good testimony. That's pride. And that's another mindset. That is not a servant's mindset. And likewise, when we serve in church, we don't look for acknowledgement. We don't look for applause. We don't even look for thanks. We're serving the Lord. That is a privilege, brethren. If you're a child of God, that is a, a privilege. No reputation. We're not looking for acknowledgement as we serve. Let me give you an example. In uh, World War One, I, I mentioned last week when we acknowledged Anzac Day, I'm reading about um, the World War One as it took place in the Sinai Peninsula and leading into the, the, uh, the charge of the light, uh, the light horse uh, battalions to liberate Beersheba in Israel. And in reading about that, in the Sinai battle, battles that took place in the leading up to that, it was all about where is there water, because it's otherwise desert. We need to control that water so that we're not attacked from behind from others that have water while we're trying to move forward to liberate, uh, liberate against uh, the the. Turkish troops through Palestine. Our generals were amongst our troops. The British generals that were also there, they were giving orders from the, um, from the Savoy Hotel in Cairo, uh, which, you know, lavish, and, and they were being served their meals. They were not on military rations in the Savoy Hotel. And they were giving orders from a hotel to a desert and wondering why, why their orders were not working. Because they didn't understand the condition that the, that the orders were being followed out in. Our generals were not in the Savoy Hotel. They may not have been welcome anyway, but they were amongst the troops. 
Now, irrespective of, of, uh, of the fact that it's war, they were in there amongst them, yes, leading, but serving. They were in amongst the troops, giving, uh, giving their instructions, which allowed the Australian troops to be flexible. Oh, this isn't working, let's change that. It meant that the, the enemy couldn't cut the communication wires, which kept happening to Cairo, and so reports weren't getting back to the hotel, and so they weren't, and weren't coming back with adjustments. And it also meant that it just showed that the generals cared for their troops, which they did, and probably the generals of the British didn't really care about their troops. They were just infantrymen. They're just servants. Australian generals were essentially serving their infantry or cavalry by being there amongst them. And uh, Chauvel and, and Royston and Ryrie, these generals that made a name for themselves in these battles that took place through there, they were able to do so because they served their men to achieve these victories together. And so we've seen that in verse 7, Christ was a servant and he, he was modest and he served as a man, not a tyrant or not a, a, an overlord. But verse 8, we move on to verse 8 now. We see also he was submissive. Let's read verse 8 again. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was submissive. A willingness to follow directions shows a willingness to be without reputation. And Christ was willing to follow the directions. That unto death, even the death of a cross. He was obedient to the point of death. And so firstly we see here, in being submissive, we see he listened. This was complete obedience. As we talked about this morning, the uh, young marriage class we had a lesson on complete obedience. And children, uh, you'll need to be on your best behavior when you get home because mum and dad that were in that class heard a lesson on that when we obey mum and dad, we obey immediately and completely. This was complete obedience demonstrated by Christ here. He listened, he thought and he changed his actions. You say, what do you mean he changed his actions? He, he listened and obeyed. I don't see that. In, he's, he's God. Yeah, he's God. But remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he went to the cross, as he prayed, he, was, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Not that he had a will that was different in a rebellious sense, But he had a desire that if there was some other way to save mankind from their sins, he would have taken it. But being 100% God, there's no 
rebellion in that thought. Now that's something that, as men and women, that's very hard to comprehend. If I have a different opinion to someone that is a superior or someone that has authority over me, how can I do that without having some thoughts of rebellion and, and, and so forth, in, in, you know, typically? And yet being 100% God, that wasn't present. When it comes to God's word, because Christ was saying, not my will, but thine, Father. And when it comes to God's word, the Bible, it will instruct us. But there's times that the instructions that God gives us are not comfortable. And it's moments like that that we say, wow, I'd never seen that before. But from now on I have a choice. Do I obey or do I disobey God? God doesn't expect us to obey what we've never seen, what we don't understand in his word. But as we do and as we begin to understand it and its implications, God does expect us to obey his word. It will instruct us, it will guide us. But God's word is of no value to us when it's just up here in the pulpit on a Sunday. God's word must be open on our lap while it's being preached. Because I could say anything. It's only of value to you. And when I'm down there, it's only of value to me when what's being preached is actually what's there. Because it's the word of God, not the thought of God. I want to see the words that that thought that the preacher is sharing have come from. I've got my Bible open. And when I run out of fingers, if, if they say, hey, keep your place there, I, I roll it over so that I can have my hands, so that I can go and then go back to it. Why? Because I want to see, what does God's Word say? Right. I need to obey that. Because it's God's Word. I want to listen. And Christ as servant was submissive and he listened. Listen to God's word. God's word is of very little value to us if it's just here in the pulpit. It's even only some value to us when it's open in our laps. But when it's read Monday back through to Sunday and listened to in church, that's when God's word has immense impact on us. We're in God's Word in our own time tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and even on Sunday, even though I'm going to be in church and listening because I want to hear from God. I've got my own thoughts, but they're rubbish if they don't match what God's saying. And there's enough rubbish thoughts anyway clanging up around there. I want to hear what God has to say. And that should be our attitude, that we're submissive. Lord, what would you have us to hear? What would you have us to do? 
And so when it is, it's not just that we then read it Monday through Sunday and hear it on Sunday. It's not just that we hear it, but it's listened to, that it's followed through, that we do something about what we hear. That's true listening. Why? Well, if we are serving Jesus Christ, we must follow His instructions. If we were a servant in a great house, and the head of the house or the head of the whatever department we were ser- you know, employed in gave an instruction, we'd need to follow that instruction out. It's not, you know, the butler says, oh, can you do this? And we say, oh, i got a better idea. I'll do it that way. No, we won't put it there. We'll put it over there. We're not following instructions. Now, that doesn't make sense on a human level. So why would it make sense on a spiritual level? If I am a servant of God and God is giving instructions... I need to be listening to God and His instructions. He's not our master if we only do what we think we should do or we do what, oh yeah, I hear what the preacher's saying, I could do that. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. That change will work. No, then we're only doing what kind of makes sense from what God's saying to us. No, I want to be doing what God says, regardless of whether it makes sense, because probably it will make sense later. God wants to guide his servant. Just flip back a page, probably. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And this is proof that God wants to guide us. He wants to give us instructions, not just to tell us what to do. He wants to guide us and teach us and show us why. Chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to do a work of change in us. He wants to perform that work in us right through our life. But we can only do, he can only do that work if we're willing to listen. If we're going to passionately serve Christ, we need to be willing to listen. And secondly, we need to be willing to be led because here in verse 8, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He allowed himself to be led to a cross of punishment and death. Verse 10 and 11 in this chapter tell us that one day every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and verse 11 and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father 
And that same one that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow in reverence towards or to, that same one was willing in verse 8 to be led to the cross of death. Wow. That's submission. That's submission. One day, everyone, even those that have always denied Christ's existence, let alone His Godhead, will stoop in reverence. And that same one, capital O, one, that one was willing to go to a cross. He was willing to be led. Can we read that in Luke chapter 23, please? Luke chapter 23. Because we see here the attitude that he went to the cross with. It wasn't willful. It wasn't, he wasn't festering you know, and, and, and boiling under the surface. Luke chapter 23, <clears throat> verse 13. And Pilate, when he, was called to, when he had called together the chief priests and rulers of the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined and I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, Herod, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast." And he cried out, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, Barabbas, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Wow. That's a mistrial. The judge has just said, I find no fault, and then released a murderer to them that was in prison, and taken this one that he's and handed over this one to them 
And how did Christ respond to that? Verse 33. Sorry, verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors, or two other criminals, led with him, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. He just followed along with it. There's no demanding of his rights here. There's no, you've released a convicted murderer and you've already said that this one's got no fault. He's willing to be led away. He's submissive and he's obedient. Why? Because he knew that this was God's will. This was God's will for it to take place. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 before we go back to our text. Romans chapter 5, please. Romans 5. We're going to read verse 12. And then jump down to verse 18. You'll see verse 13 begins with a a bracket and verse 17 ends with a bracket. That's like an an aside. It's it's God's word, but the sentence flows around it. And for, for sake of focus this morning, we're going to read verse 12 and continue the sentence from verse 18 onwards. Romans 5 verse 12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we have in Romans 5 the reason Christ went to the cross. It was for a spiritual transaction to take place. Adam's act, as we read in in verses 12 and 18, Adam's act... At the beginning of the scriptures, 
Adam brought sin onto all mankind. But Christ's act was going to bring or make available righteousness to all. That was the spiritual transaction that was going to be done on the cross. That's why Christ was willing to be led to the cross. Not for his own indiscretions. The thieves were there justly, but Christ was innocent. But he took that day upon himself on the cross the sin of the whole world. He took your sin and my sin. Sin that otherwise we would have to pay for. As it says in verse 12, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Death was our sentence. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and so Christ was doing a work on the cross that the the Jews and Pilate and the Romans thought they were putting a man in physical form onto a cross to punish him for the claims he made to be God. The only problem was those claims were true. But while they thought they were doing this physically, God's purpose was to do a spiritual transaction through that same thing. They didn't know it. That your sin and my sin went upon him on the cross. And he was punished. And he died for your sin, my sin, our sin. But in return, his righteousness, as we've just read in chapter 5 here, was swapped out for our sin. Not that we are righteous, we're still sinners. But when we place our faith in Christ, what he did on the cross... That spiritual transaction can be made. He's paid. He's he's died on the cross for us. But when we place our faith and say, yeah, that's enough. That's what pays for sin. That's God's way. When we acknowledge that, His righteousness is what we get in return. Now that's a good deal. My sin goes upon him. My sin that was condemning me to death goes upon him. He pays for that. He dies for that. But in return I get his righteousness. Verse 19 again, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. That's what took place on the cross. Verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might the grace might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. How? By Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go back to our passage in Philippians 2 to just close this off. Christ was submissive. He listened and he led. He was willing to be led. 
And that is a servant's mindset. But in closing, in Philippians 2, we've seen that he was a servant. We've seen that he was submissive. But how can we have that servant's mindset? Well, it's back in verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. Sorry, verse 5. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how we do it. Let. Allow it. We must allow God to do a work of change in us. We need to stop fighting that work of change. And as we allow Him to do that work of change, we're allowing the thoughts of, I can't serve? That would be beneath me. And those thoughts of, of, oh, I'm serving. Doesn't everyone think I'm great? Those contrary thoughts about service that are true to the natural man. That we can just serve to bring glory to our Saviour. We need to allow that to take place. Yes, I want to be a servant of Christ. Then let him be your master. Let him give you instruction. Change in this way. Act in that way. Like you would if you were at work. Sometimes the boss says, I don't like it, redo it. No, I wanted bullet points. Oh, you got bullet points, I wanted a paragraph. And we do it, why? Because he's paying the bills. Well, he's paying the wages and hopefully we're paying the bills. But why? Why do we submit there but we won't submit when it comes to the spiritual realm? We need to let this mind be in us. You are you and that's lovely. But I think God can improve you. I know he can improve me. We can all think of people that we know for sure God could improve. But I'm not asking you to think about that now. God can improve you as well. All of us, God can improve. How will he do it? When we let this mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to allow that mind to be in us. Allow that way of thinking. And when we do, and we'll close with Philippians 1.6, as we referred to it earlier, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, if we let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, until the day of Jesus Christ. I know I just mashed two verses together. But that's 
how it is. He will perform that work of change in you if you let, if I let this mind be in me. You let this mind be in you. Let's bow for prayer.